Um, hey, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Hope you guys have a fantastic Mother's Day. Hope you guys have some stuff for your moms planned. Um, we're excited. My mom's going to be uh, here later this week. She's coming out to visit from North Carolina. Hasn't been here for a, a little while now, so we're excited about that. Um, I get along with my mom probably now better than I ever have in my life. And I think that's largely on me um, because I'm basically um, regret everything I ever said to her up until about age 35 now that I have kids of my own. You know what I mean? So uh, now I'm like, nope, you were right. I was wrong. <laughs> All those sorts of things. And it seems to make our conversations much easier, um, at least from her end. Um, so today... We're going to talk about what every mom would hope that we talk about on Mother's Day, um, our bodies, right? This is what we're going to be talking about today. Now that's, this is good, though. Hang with me, if you would. We've been in 1 Corinthians for a long time, almost a year, actually, but we're finally going to finish this thing up. We're going to finish up chapter 15 today, and then we're probably going to be able to finish all of chapter 16 next week, which means um, we got a couple of things planned for the, the last the last couple of messages there. So first of June, we should be kicking off uh, 2 Corinthians, which I'm really excited about. Because um, before this, we were in Romans, which was great, but it was like doctrine and, you know, all that. But great doctrine, but there's, there's a heaviness to the book of Romans for sure. It's a, it's a thick book, if you will. And then moving from that, we moved into 1 Corinthians, which has been really good for our church. But let's face it, man, there's some hard stuff in here. Um, there's a lot of messages that come out of 1 Corinthians don't, that don't exactly send you bouncing out into the sunny day out there like, ooh, it's going to be a great day. There's a lot of messages in 1 Corinthians that send you out like, man, I got to work on that. You know what I mean? That, that's just the way that that is. And, and that may have been the case for a lot of us. I know it was for me. And, and even in our church, it was amazing watching how we would go through things in 1 Corinthians that, that there would be things being rooted out even, if you will, in the church as we're going through those things. So it was really good for us. Um, but, but now we're going to get to go into 2 Corinthians, which I think is going to be a really great time. Um, just such a message of encouragement and hope through difficulty, um, of care, love, comfort for one another. I think it's going to be a really good time going through 2 Corinthians. So I'm really looking forward to that. But today we're going to be finishing 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where we've been talking about the resurrection. Paul's bringing his argument to a close. He's basically pointed out everything that's wrong with this church in Corinth, which is also everything that's wrong with every church. Um, but he's bringing it to a head by giving them something to look forward to, bringing them hope. And that hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That no matter how bad or how difficult things might get here on earth, there is this hope that we have coming that will never disappoint us. And it is hope through Jesus Christ in an eternity apart from the things that Paul has been dealing with. And all the temptations, all the struggles, all the division, all the animosity will one day be gone. Finally, can I get an amen for that? And that's the hope that Paul wants to give us. And so now as we go into the last half here of 1 Corinthians 15, he's going to talk not about the resurrection in general as much as now he's going to sharpen his view, if you will, sharpen his focus, and we're going to be talking about resurrection bodies. And what we've seen so far is that Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is prototypical of us. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus Christ gave us a picture of something that is assured to happen to us. And the idea is, is that here's Jesus Christ. He literally rose from the dead. 
literally. Everybody say literally. Literally. He walked with people. He talked with people. He shared meals with people. He literally rose from the dead. And so for us, we have the hope that God is one day going to literally raise us from the dead as well to a new hope, this new eternity that he has planned for us. This life, as we said last week, this life is as bad as it will get for us. It is all good from here. And that's good news for those who follow Jesus. Amen? Well, we talked about the resurrection in general. Now we're going to bring it to a little bit more of a focus and talk about the resurrection body. And let's just face it. How many of us, given the opportunity right now, would trade in the body that we have at this exact... I'm not even done yet. Hands are coming up. (laughs) Like, yes, yes. I mean, at least for a newer model, wouldn't you at least do some of that? I mean, some of the things that we deal with, illnesses, it seems like everybody I talk to right now is either in the middle of that funk or is coming out of that funk that got passed around, the cough that doesn't go away, the stuffy nose I still have, allergies... Allergies, people! Holy cow! Wouldn't you give it? Wouldn't what would you give to have a new body to not deal with allergies? Those of you that deal with them, Um, things like uh, injuries, injuries. Okay, young people, if you're here with your parents, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to turn and look at your mom and dad right now that are with you. I want you to turn and look, and I want you to consider something. Listen to me as you're looking to them. We used to be hot. (laughs) Okay, okay. No, keep looking. Now I want you to hear this. We used to be amazing, ripped, athletic. Like, you don't even know. You don't even know. And now injuries come for no reason, for no reason. Look, when, when I was in college, um, I, I literally, I got sick, and then I overslept, and it was a big mess. Probably my fault. Let's not judge. But um, it, I, I was supposed to go, we had a PE class that everyone at North Carolina State University had to take, and there was a lot of running involved. But in the, mid, the midterm was a written like exam about health and the body and all that stuff. And I missed my exam, missed my midterm, me and two other guys. So we called the professor, oh, I'm so sorry, sick, <coughs> you know, that kind of thing. What, what, can we make it up? What can we do? And he offered us a deal. He said, I'll tell you what, there's actually a cross-country, intramural cross-country race here at campus in one week. You guys go sign up for that race, prove to me that you took it seriously, compete, and then I'll give you like a C or something and you don't even have to take the test. We're like, score, I'll do that. But literally, like stayed up all night, praying, I'm sure, Um, the night before that race, got up, like rolled out of bed like 30 minutes before the race, just showed up. Is it time to go? Go. Took off run. I won. I won the race. And one of the other guys that was with me, he finished third. Like I was, oh, now I wake up. I got hurt while I was asleep. I don't even know how. (laughs) I'm serious. And you guys are laughing because you know, you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, Oh, I'm hurt. Your coworkers are like, what happened? I don't know. I was asleep at the time. <laughs> but something's not right. Now, my wife gets hurt in her sleep all the time. But that's because I've got this one sharp toenail. <laughs> and they get brittle when you get older, right? And so you just kick and there's just cuts. And I mean, that's just, this is just a reality. Like our bodies, after a while, we just start falling apart. Now, think about how much time and energy and effort we put into trying to just hold these frail, weak things together. I mean, just think about the time, the effort, the money that we spend going to the dentist, going to the doctor, 
The doctor tells you, you need to start going to the gym. So you join the gym. And then you get hurt at the gym. So now you have to go from the gym to the chiropractor. Um, unless it's a knee. So now you're going to physical therapy. And if physical therapy doesn't work, now you've got to go to uh, some sort of uh, reconstructive surgery. So you're going back to the doctor again. And then you had the surgery. So now what do you got to do? Now you got to go back to the physical therapist again to learn to walk on your new joint. And, and if none of that works, at a certain point you give up and you go to the plastic surgeon. And you just say, fix it all. After that, then you still got to spend a fortune on armor all. You got to polish that stuff and keep it from drying out. I mean, there's a lot of effort and energy and work that goes into just holding ourselves together. Right? I'm not alone in this, right? (laughs) I hope not, or my sermon's going to (laughs) change. That's because our bodies are under a curse. Everything in creation is under a curse. Our bodies especially are under a curse. And the reality of it is, no matter how hard we work, no matter how much we spend, no matter what it is we do, we're falling apart. We are decaying. There's a negative end, if you will, to this investment process that we put in our bodies. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, come on, man, give us something. I brought, mom's here. Come on, give us something. What, what do we do? Well, the answer to this is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The solution to all of this, the permanent solution to our frail human condition is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The scriptures say that when we see him, when he returns again, we will be like him. Anybody down with being like him? I would love that. What an amazing promise that is. The scriptures, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, and we shall see him as he is. That is a beautiful promise. We have hope. We have hope beyond what we're dealing with, beyond all of these things. We have such a glorious and hopeful future awaiting us. And so you might go, and Paul would anticipate the same question. All right, well, what's that look like then? That sounds awesome. What's that going to look like? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, 35 says, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised, and with what kind of body do they come? It's a legitimate question. What does it look like? I'm hyped, Paul. You got me pumped. I'm in. Let's do it. Can we do this now? Can we just fast forward? Can I have that new body now? Well, he says, oh, you foolish person. Verse 36, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. Paul gives us a biological example here, if you will. He says, okay, this is what's going to happen. It's going to be really, really different. And the first picture that he comes to, and really the best picture, most easy to understand for us out of all of that, is he uses this picture, this analogy of a seed. There's nothing attractive about a seed. 
There's nothing glorious about a seed. They're boring, they're brittle, they're just dry, dead, tiny, insignificant. There's not really anything to them. But when we take that seed and place it in the ground and it is buried, what comes forth from that seed, when that seed, if you will, rises, it looks dramatically different from what was placed into the ground. This dead, dry, decaying thing that is put into the ground results in something that bursts forth with life, with fruit, with promise. And so too, our sick, frail, broken bodies one day will be laid in the ground. But what happens when Christ raises us up from the dead is that there is something beautiful, something that's going to be dramatically different. I I firmly believe that we have no idea the ramifications of sin on creation. I mean, Crater Lake, in all of its majesty, do you understand it's still broken? It's still fallen. It's still not what it was supposed to be. I mean, the things all around us are broken. And when we see what we look like, what creation looks like, without the curse and weight of sin on top of it, it's going to be so just, it'll be glory. It's going to be unbelievable. And that's what he's saying. What's going to come back up out of the ground is going to be beautiful, radiant, an amazing thing. Now, now just a little side note. Some historically have freaked out at this and they've said, oh, then don't get cremated because we need the seed, right? We need the body. And so we got to be able to plant the body in the ground. And people have freaked out like, man, grandpa got cremated and we sprinkled him all over the place. What's going to happen there? Not an issue, right? Not an issue. I mean, even practically speaking, martyrs were burned at the stake, and surely God has not left them to die in vain. The scriptures talk about the fact, just literally, that Christ God gives beauty for ashes. So it's not an issue. This is an analogy that he's using here. You don't take this text to say, we better not damage our bodies, and if you leave a body in the ground long enough, it's just dust anyway, right? So that's not a problem. But this is what happens. So he promises that there's this new thing coming, a brand new work that God's going to do with us when we are resurrected from the dead. And in verse 42, he says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So the reality of it is, like we were talking about just a moment ago, our natural bodies are hammered, ravaged by sin. Sin and death eventually has its way with all of us. It would seem when one looks at our bodies and the progression of our life that the curse of death because of sin is winning. But because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is a completely different change coming and death will have no hold on you whatsoever. Insurance, don't need it. Snowdens, you're going to need a new career. No more insurance, no more health insurance, right? Mason, you're not, no more physical therapy. I saw you over here somewhere. Wherever Mason went, no more physical therapy. There he is right there. Uh, Heidi, he's going to need work. So be patient with him. You might start studying something new now. Jenny Craig, out of here. Don't need any of that, right? None of those things are going to play anymore. Um, Pharmacists, not necessary. No pharmacists whatsoever. Surgeons, wheelchairs, crutches, medication, weaknesses, gone forever. Praise God for that. Totally should have got, let's try that again. Wheelchairs and crutches and pharmacists, gone and Mason unemployed forever. Amen. Amen. Sorry, Mason. 
But, but he says in this passage, it speaks about the fact that our bodies are, and it continues on the analogy, our bodies are sown in dishonor and raised in glory. Sown in dishonor. And we just got to be honest. There's some embarrassing, dishonorable things about the body, right? <laughs> there just are. I mean, I, so I was at the gym just the other day, speaking of working on all this stuff. I'm at the gym. I'm on the treadmill. I'm getting ready to start, and i am got the iPod. You got to get the right song on. You need something upbeat, right? So I'm getting all that ready, and there's an older guy on the, on the treadmill next to me who I hope doesn't go to this church right now, and um, as I'm getting ready, and he's kind of doing a brisk walk, and he just full-on, like, noisily passes gas right there in front of me, right there at the thing, which was funny just for a second, but... <laughs> This is, start, this is starting to sound more like a Father's Day sermon, isn't it? Um, but no, I mean, there are just things about our body that are even natural processes that are just embarrassing and we might say dishonorable. Earwax? Really? There's nothing honorable about earwax. I know it serves a purpose, but it, uh, nose hair. Nose hair. I saw a guy not long ago, he looked like he'd snorted a chinchilla. I mean, just like, you could, you could braid this stuff. And... and the sad part was there was not, a, not an ounce of hair up here. <laughs> not an ounce of hair. Just seemed like you need to do this and go, <clears throat> maybe it would pop back up. I don't know. <sighs> Just dishonorable. Toenails, I've already mentioned. Back hair. Body, oat, bad breath. Oh, this one guy. This guy back when I was doing engineering in our office, he had chronic bad breath and no one would say anything to him at all. And it was every day. And it was, and so I was the young guy in there at the time. I was the new guy. I was like, I don't care. Somebody's got to say something to help this poor brother. So I'm like, hey, um, I don't know if you know this, but, and so I had the hard conversation with me. He goes, oh, no, no, it's okay. I actually have a decaying tooth. That's why that smells. Ugh. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's worse, because you've had this for three years. You had a dead tooth for three years, and you're like, no, it's cool. It's not cool. Poor wife. Have you ever had lunch with a nurse? We had a CNA over the other night, and she told us this. Hang on, let me check my filter. Bronwyn, can I tell this story? No, never mind. (laughs) That's too much. It's too much. But just, if you don't believe me about bodies and dishonor and about all this kind of stuff, just have lunch with a CNA sometime, the stories they can tell. But, but here's the thing. Even, even in the curse in Genesis 3, what do we see? We see when Adam and Eve fall and sin comes and now has that curse, that curse is on the body, what's the first thing they want to do? Cover up. Hide it, Adam. No one wants to see you like that, man. Just cover up. That's the results of the curse. And our bodies, it doesn't matter how much effort you put, young people, no matter how athletic you are, how ripped you are, you are under the same curse. And you have the same destiny. But one day, because of Jesus Christ, and because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his triumph over dead, it'll no longer be bodies and dishonor and embarrassment, but, and, and not even just good bodies or functioning bodies. He says, glory. You will be raised in glory, perfection. You have not seen real glory yet. That's amazing promise. We can't even get our heads around that. And he says in verse 45, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. 
And the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And so here's what he's saying. Right now, as bodies under the curse, we are sons, heirs, if you will, of the curse of Adam. Destined towards the same death, dying, decaying, embarrassing, dishonor. That is the direction that our bodies are born into. And there, there's some people that'll say things today. They'll say, hey, look, God just made me this way, and I'm just living the way God created me. No, you aren't. God did not create us to live the way that we live now. God created us for eternity and for glory and for a place that doesn't have suffering or temptations or inclinations or illnesses or weaknesses. None of us is living exactly what God has designed for us now. But the day's coming because we are intended to never deal with these things. But God loves us so much that he refused to leave us in that state as heirs and descendants of Adam. And so he came himself. It's the beauty of the incarnation that though we deserve to stay in that position, God himself would then come and do what? take on the exact same body with the exact same weaknesses, the twisted ankles and the scraped knees and the flus and all of those sorts of things that that the God of all creation in all his incredible glory would humble himself to that because he refused to let you and I stay in that state. Amazing grace. That is unbelievable to think of what he did. He came here, he went through the same things that we do. He saw loved ones die. He went through illnesses and scraped knees and hurt feelings and all of those sorts of things that we wrestle with. He lived perfectly in the way we never could. He undid everything every, in every area where Adam and all of us have ever failed. He did it perfectly. He died on the cross, though he was innocent. And yet, as he hung on the cross, God puts upon him all the guilt, shame, and wrath because of all of our failures and sins. And he dies. He pays the ultimate price for all of that. He's laid in the ground, but on the third day, rose again, triumphantly defeating death. He's ascended into heaven now where the scriptures say he is preparing a place for us. And he's coming again because he will not allow us to endure the destiny that we were headed for under Adam. He has chosen instead to make our issues his responsibility and created a way by which we may be saved. That's what the scripture means when it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. What a beautiful truth that is. Isaiah 53 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. By the wounds on Jesus Christ, we are healed eternally from our frailties and our weaknesses and our sin and our issues, our decay. That's an incredible truth. Now, now there's some that go too far with that. 
And they go, oh, so because Jesus rose from the dead, we never should get sick. No believer in Jesus should ever get sick or any of those things. And if you are sick now as a believer in Jesus, well, God's not faithless. God's not unfaithful. So his promises are true. So the issue must be you. You are faithless. But if your faith is strong enough, you can claim healing for yourself. You can claim that redemption now for yourself. That is cruel and biblically ignorant. And what do they do with Philippians, a whole book about enduring through suffering? And even when people do get sick, and some of you have experienced the healing hand of God here in this day, but even the healing you experience now is imperfect because we're still headed for the grave one day. Should the Lord tarry and we live long enough, we will die. No one has been healed and continues to live forever. But the day is coming. Are we healed by his stripes? Of course we are. But we understand in God's timing, according to God's plan, or how those things work out. And so for us now, we understand death. We understand frailty. We have the answers for it, if you will. But at the same time, no Christian ever loses the battle with cancer. You know that? No Christian ever loses a bout with cancer. I mean, Paul's going to say that we don't die, we just take a nap. And when we are raised again with him, cancer is beaten forever. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. But until then, the reality of it is, is we do struggle with the results of the fall. We do still struggle with decaying bodies and injuries and toenails and all those kinds of things. That's the reality of it. But that day is coming. The day is coming where, as Paul says in that passage, where we will put on immortal. It'll no longer be these decaying mortal bodies. We will put on immortal bodies. And look, have you ever noticed, we talked about this a little bit last week. No matter where you are, no matter what type of people or who you're with, there is this innate desire amongst all people to live forever. That's why in Ecclesiastes it says, he has put eternity into the hearts of men. And I'm talking like you can go way back. Think about our boy Ponce de Leon, 15th century explorer. What was he looking for? Somebody knows it, history people? The fountain of youth. But it goes beyond even that. In 5th century BC, there were writings about this mythological fountain of youth. And, and you don't even have to go back there. Think modern day. What's our modern day mythology that might be able to give us that sort of picture? What's our example in our modern day? It'd be superheroes, right? Wouldn't that be what that is? Superman, Batman, all those guys. I mean, that's what all the movies are about. So everybody's excited about. And what? They're better than us. They're larger than life. They're superhuman. They don't deal with the things that we deal with. I mean, Superman flies way up in the sky, not afraid of heights, no vertigo. The Hulk never throws his back out. Flash never pulls a hammy. You know what I mean? Like none of those things ever happen. They're better than us in all of those ways. And this, in, this reflects even in the authors of those kinds of things, this inherent desire and almost natural knowledge is there's got to be something better than this on the other side here. We're destined for something better than what we are. Where we are right now isn't quite right. And so Paul says in verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. That's sort of, if you will, the bad news. 
that as descendants of Adam, we are part of this natural world with these broken natural bodies that are underneath the flesh, under the curse of sin. And he says, natural cannot inherit the spiritual. In other words, for the natural man to go into the supernatural, into this, this incredible eternity that God has planned for us, something has to change. Because the way we are now, it's not that he's not letting us in. We can't. Our natural bodies cannot inherit this imperishable thing. And that's why Jesus Christ is our superhero. That's why Jesus Christ is the ultimate superhero, larger than life, who made himself smaller than everyone and came here to humble himself and pay the price to do what it would take for us to be able to inherit what's there. This element, this, this, this thing we call Christianity, it's so completely different from every other faith that's out there. Because every other faith out there says, if you want to inherit that life, you have to do this, 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 this. Christianity doesn't even come close to that. It says, you can't. You have no shot. I'd give you the list, but why bother? You can't do it. But there is one who has. It wasn't his fault. We're the ones who fell. Our sin is not his fault, but he made it his responsibility because of his love for us, and he came. This whole thing is about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus, the one who undoes everything that has been done, the one who is resurrected so that we might live forever. Does that all sound good to you guys? Can I get a fantastic? Everybody say fantastic. So then the next question is, so all right, when do we get to do this? Let's get this going, man. Enough with the going to the gym. That's a lot of time and money I'm wasting. Let's move it. I want to go forward, right? Verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. He says, in a moment, this is the mystery, beautiful mystery, that in a moment, a trumpet will sound and everything changes. Zechariah says in Zechariah 9.14 that the sovereign Lord, speaking of Christ's return, the sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. And, and even the fact this idea of a trumpet sounding is symbolic and important because in one hand, the trumpets are sounded as a king comes into his castle, the victorious king returning to his home to take his throne. The trumpets blow to declare that he's coming in. But at another, th- the other end of that is, is on a military level, it's the trumpet that sounds to awake the sleeping army. And so too, those who have died will be raised from the dead when that trumpet sounds. Those who are alive even in that moment, who happen to be fortunate enough to live until the return of Christ, they will be changed in that moment. Imagine being at the gym when that happens. You're like, oh, bleh, and then boom, I guess I'll get a donut. I don't need to be here anymore. <laughs> Can you imagine how great that would be? And we will all be changed. In a moment, when we see him, we will be like him. In verse 53, he says, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? 
Oh, death, where's your sting? And the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Heritage people, I want you to know this. I want you to track with me. I know I've, I've touched on this, I think, on a Wednesday night, maybe on a Sunday too, but it's worth repeating. When it comes to death and funerals and memorial services and all those kind of things, I want you people in this room to have a different perspective on it than most people have. Not rude or, or, or disrespectful, but I want you to have a different perspective on this than the average person has. Because for a lot of people, memorial services and the way we kind of do it in our culture is there's this touch of sentimentalism that's there and this sort of like, oh, death is what has, has brought us to. And we, we can almost treat death as if it's like a good thing. That is completely unbiblical. Jesus, the story of Lazarus when he raises the man from the dead. The story says that Jesus comes to the tomb. It's that famous passage in John where it says that Jesus wept. But in there, there's a part where it says literally that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. He comes to the tomb of his friend. People are wailing and moaning and tears are flowing and he's been in there for days now. And Jesus sees this whole scene and it says, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. Look, in every other place in the scriptures, that means angry. And the every single English translation in that specific spot translates it in this sort of emotional, sentimental, oh, I'm sad and all this kind of stuff. And, and maybe because the other part where it says Jesus wept or, or maybe it's just our modern, what, this is our context for memorial services. But if you were to go, for example, to every German translation of the scriptures, get this right. They say Jesus was angry that that's what that meant. And here's why. Death is our enemy. Death is our absolute enemy. None of this, oh, death is just what helps us on to what God has meant for us. That is mystical new age nonsense. Death is our absolute enemy. They're paired so clearly in scripture apart from one another. Death is this end that Jesus triumphs, but Jesus is the life. God is called what? The living God. And they are polar opposites from one another. Death is a victory to be defeated. We shouldn't look at death with sentimentality and, oh, it just helps us get to a better place. No, it ends life God created. But Jesus is stronger than death. And so Jesus raises from the dead and then promises us that he's going to raise us from the dead as well so that there will come a time when we will never look at death through eyes of sentimentality. Instead, we'll look at it and we will mock it. We will say, death, what you got? Where's your victory? Where's your sting? You're nothing. Because we have been raised with Jesus Christ who, Christ, who defeats death. Look, my grandparents, both of my grandmothers, I can remember on, on Mother's Day, we, we lived this, they lived in the same town and we would do half a day at one's house and half a day at the other and bring flowers. You, you, that's what we did all the time. They're both dead. That which kills my grandparents is not my friend. It is my enemy. And I serve the Savior who has crushed my enemy. That is good news, is it not? Now, don't go rolling into a near next memorial service going, this stinks. Like, I'd put, just temper yourselves. But, but understand something. 
that what's happening in a memorial service is not what God intended to happen, but it's also not the end. Death is not powerful enough to keep us there. Our Savior has defeated it. Oh, that's such great news. And in the end, it really doesn't matter how much we take care of ourselves. that's coming, but it also doesn't matter that that's coming because our Savior has come, and He's coming again. And those still alive, what will they be like? Well, the Bible says they'll be changed as well. We'll all be joined together and we'll be joined with our Savior. When we see him, we will be like him. And that day is coming in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, as some passages say. It's a mystery, but it's coming. It is coming. People like to argue over when, how, all that kind of stuff. Let's just agree on this. Everybody say it with me. It's coming. One, two, three. It's coming. This day is real and is coming. And so what do we do while we wait? With that day on the horizon and us being here with our decrepit bodies, what do we do in the meantime? Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. All of you, especially, listen, those of you that, that are like prophecy buffs or eschatology, you love studying things like the end times and all this stuff, here's something you always need to know and understand before you delve too far deep down some of these things. This is the reality. Whether it be the book of Revelation or any of the other prophetic literature that the Bible gives us, and there's a lot of it, and it's good, and we should study it and know it. But the end result of all prophetic writings in the Scripture is designed to affect three things to bring three effects into our lives. And Paul gives them to us in the last two verses of this chapter. There are three things. It's to inspire faithfulness, to inspire service, and to inspire worship. That's the idea. Look what he says. He says in verse 58 again, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Stand firm. Be steadfast. This is what this means. Okay, guys, life is difficult. There are things coming, sin, death, pain. We are all wasting away. Our, our outer body is falling apart. All of these things are happening, and yet stand firm. Do not let the tragedies of the fall and the difficulties of this life push you off of your foundation in Jesus Christ. You stand firm, and you go, yes, my outer man is wasting, but I'm being changed. Yes, I'm dealing with cancer. Yes, my mother's not here this year. Yes, whatever that difficulty is, but I'm not coming off of this foundation because Jesus Christ is alive and he is coming back. I will stand firm. Amen? The second one is this, service. He says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Our ministry and service to God is not in vain. I mean, much of what we do for our bodies is in vain. It is. Now, look, look, God created us body, mind, and spirit. And we should take care of our bodies. We should go to the gym. We should exercise. We should eat well. Those are important and good things to do. But there is a sense in which those things ultimately, they're only going to provide so much uh, profit for us. Paul will say bodily exercise profits us a little. But in the end, you're still going to end up where you're going to end up. But, but he says of our service to the Lord that it is never in vain. See, look, we understand why this is the way it is. When we see things in the news, when we see sin kidnapping little girls in Africa to sell them into the sex trade, when we see someone go into a high school with a gun and everyone else in the world is looking at this going, how can this happen? How is this possible? We should be going, we know, we know. 
because sin is having its way with the world. But we have hope. We have hope because sin will not reign on this planet forever. There is a Savior coming who's going to put all of these things back together. And so we, because of this knowledge, need to bring this hope to our brothers and sisters in the world. We need to work to overcome the effects of the curse as much as we can. When we feed the hungry and clothe the poor, we're giving a picture, if you will, of the kingdom that is coming. And we're serving a kingdom to come now because we know it's real and it's coming. When Jesus came to the planet, before he, even, before he was even crucified, he told them, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here now. And so though, yes, Jesus will overturn the effects of the curse ultimately one day, we, the redeemed people of God today, because we know that Jesus is coming, should be doing whatever we can to minister to people. Your next door neighbor, pulling the weeds in your next door neighbor's yard for them is kingdom work because it's showing them that, hey, I serve a savior who's gonna make these, these weeds go away forever one day. It's bringing order into a place of disorder like Jesus is going to do when he comes. Our ministry is important. And he says it is never in vain. And so so our, our, our attraction to prophecy should motivate us to stand firm, to understand that our faith is true and say, I'm staying on this foundation no matter what comes my way. Number two, because I'm gonna serve the kingdom now. I'm not gonna wait till the trumpet blows to get to work. As the scriptures say, I don't want to be ashamed at his coming. I'm going to be about God's kingdom now. And then the third thing is just worship. How can you not? How can we not respond in worship and awe to a God that would do what he has done for you so that we don't have to be like this anymore? What a savior we have. That he would put up with the stuff that we can't get, wait to get rid of and to understand that he left ultimate glory to come and take responsibility for our situation and to offer salvation to us, how do you not worship that? How is that not the most beautiful thing and the most desirable thing on the face of this earth? Heritage, Jesus is coming. So listen, I know life's still hard. I know hard things are coming. Some of you have things coming down the pipe you don't even know about yet, but just life tells us things are going to happen. But listen to me, Jesus is alive and he's promised to come for you. So stand firm knowing that he's coming. Serve him and others knowing that he's coming and worship the king. His day is closer today than it was yesterday. Amen. Let's stand and close in worship.